This is the Lake Ridge Faith and Culture Podcast with our series, God Rules. Women want more rights, more access to abortion, more freedom, not less. Hell is knowing your truth and lacking the courage to live it. I don't care. I have lots of things I disagree with about the Bible. Why are we doing even a series on the Ten Commandments? The law was always meant to communicate God's character and God's truth and the reality of how God made the world. An articulation of our purpose, what it means to be human according to God's intent. Here's what happens when you balk at structure, balk at God's guidelines and boundaries that he's posted. It's not good what takes its place. So when God gives us these instructions, basically it, it, it implies you're a bunch of lying, fornicating, self-worshiping yeah. louts, you know. We shouldn't think about them as arbitrary rules, but we should think about them as God showing us the way to live fulfilling, long-lasting life in the world. We believe the enemy is after your mind and heart, and as shepherds, we're jumping into the fray. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the conversation. And we're back again together to cover another commandment of the Lord in our God Rules series. And hopefully by now, as you've been listening to this, you understand kind of what we're aiming at here, which is to look at the commandments um, from the perspective, not just that God's being arbitrarily picky about the sort of things that humans do and don't do, but he's he's constructing for us the kind of character that a person has to have in order to belong to a just society. What are the what are the elements that ought to be in place, the pillars that ought to be in place for a society to be just and upright before the Lord? Um, and so we we've said this a thousand times that the uh, well maybe not a thousand but but several ten or twelve ten or twelve times that um, that these commandments are kind of embarrassing because they they reveal something about our own heart. Um, and so I'd like to stop here before we go any further and introduce some of the guys here, just so that you understand the hearts I'm I'm referring to. Mm. So uh, first of all, we've we've got Kyle. My heart is insufferably wicked. Yeah, we knew that. Van is here with us. Limbo champion. <laughs> That's right. Yes, limbo <laughs> champion. And Keith Lowry is with us. Yeah, the most unexpected limbo champion. <laughs> if Van was the champion. <laughs> and uh, and Ben Lowry, I'm also here. Obviously, so um, yeah. So today we're covering the eighth commandment, and uh, Kyle, go ahead and read that lengthy text in Exodus twenty for us. This is Exodus twenty verse fifteen, which says, "You shall not steal." You shall not steal. Um, Van was quipping before we began that uh, maybe J.R.R. Tolkien had in his first edition, had Gandalf standing on the bridge saying, you shall not steal in Casa Doom. But it didn't land right, so it changed it to pass. And it changed nothing <laughs> yeah, about yeah. the situation. <laughs> you shall not steal. Um, so <clears throat> here's what I'd like to know first. Have you ever stolen anything? I'm, I mean, Man. saying such things over the internet is such a horrible <laughs> way to start your day. I mean, I can only assume I have. I feel like, as a child, my brothers and I constantly bickered about what belonged to who, um, and so I probably snatched a couple things from from one of them. I have. 
I have. I've stolen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll do it again. that's good put your hand on your wallet Uh, yeah so when you say have you stolen you're meaning like from a store like somewhere (laughs) or from someone or something someone something so i was actually taught um there was we were visiting some of my parents friends at their college hometown in arkansas and we uh, they had i guess an exchange student staying with them or something along those lines And anyway this guy um, I guess he had kind of a checkered past because he sat us down. He was a little bit older than my brother and I and the other kids in the house, and he taught us how to shoplift. And he, he explained the whole thing, and we were kids. And to me, it was like magic. It was like doing sleight-of-hand magic. And so it sort of took on this mystical attraction of, you know, oh, that would be really cool. But God says not to do that. That's really the point we're, we're trying to get at. <laughs> yeah. God yeah, yeah. says not to steal. Well, it probably is, especially for a kid, that, that first moment where you realize the things you're told you ought not to do are possible to do anyways. Yeah. You know, it's an exhilarating experience as, you know, the sinful heart sort of goes, wait a minute, these are boundaries I thought were solid, but I can actually just do this thing. And yeah. if you get away with it, I mean, that's an intoxicating feeling. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a sinful adventure, you could say, um, like like pirates, you know, piracy. Yeah. It's yeah. Some of our favorite characters in in movies and uh, literature are pirates. We like pirates, um, and those guys steal. Yeah, which breaks the eighth commandment. Yeah, and so don't watch pirate movies. <laughs> so therefore, don't watch pirate movies. Okay, so um, it, it would be easy, I guess, to just stop here. And well, then don't take other people's stuff. But it's not actually that easy because I think we need to take some time here to explore the foundations of this commandment. What's what's just on the other side of a commandment? Do not steal. What would be a positive rather than a negative? Do not. What would be a positive version of it? Yeah, there's there's an there's a presupposition that has to adhere if stealing is wrong, and that presupposition is that. It's, it's a thing to have property, and God intends for people to possess their own property. Right. Um, yep. I think this is, you know, it's inescapable as it relates to stealing, because if there's no such thing as property, there's nothing can be stolen. So it, it's foundational. Um, <clears throat> I think this is important. Um, and for Christians in particular, um, I think sometimes Christians get confused um, about the New Testament teaching about how the early Christians had everything in common, and they sort of presuppose then that because they had everything in common, um, then I can take stuff or I should have an expectation that you will give me your stuff uh, or that you will give your stuff to someone else, and I should sort of advocate um, from a remote position what you should be doing Uh when I don't think that's that's really the point at all. I think God intends for people to have private property. I think he intends for people to use their private property in the way they choose, but I think then he calls us to use it to serve and love other people. But you cannot cultivate love unless it's a voluntary thing on the part of the the property owner. Yeah, it's like private property becomes... Among other things, like our relationships, the way we treat other people, but private property is one of those stages upon which our own character plays itself out. And I don't mean character in like a storybook character. I mean uh, like personal integrity and virtue 
plays itself out. If there is no such thing as private property, then virtue is pointless in, yeah. in, in one sense. Right. Well, and private property has to go into the idea of God's entrusting of humans to be stewards over certain things. And if you don't have the ability for someone to say this belongs to someone, right, that this is a property, this is a possession of a certain person, that's God's accountability structure, right? It's the same reason why he says a, a man will leave his father, mother, and cling to his wife because there's a responsibility there. There's accountability there. God says that both of you are now accountable to me because you belong to each other. I think the same thing is true about possessions. God says, I have given you these things. You know, it's the parable Jesus tells about the talents. You've been given these things, and so now you're accountable to take care of them. And what happens to those objects is now you're you're now going to be held responsible for. And so for someone to come in and sort of take those things away, you've removed that person's ability to be accountable to God for them. And so mm-hmm. right. that's God saying, hey, no, I gave it to them for a reason. Right. Yeah, I think it <clears throat> it helps the Christian understand or better how to discern uh, some of what's being pushed today with socialism and mm. things of that nature. Take from the wealthy, distribute it evenly across the board, and everybody would be fine, but it's not really how it works. And um, so I think a proper understanding of, of why we're told not to steal, that uh, it's not wrong to have personal property, um, helps us to see that, that that's uh, it's okay, but there are instructions given to the believer in how we steward that. Yeah. In, in our lives, and so... Yeah, and so, um, to your point, guys, I I was reading through Calvin this past week in preparation for our time together. He has... There's a little book that I have, and I, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but there's a little book um, called The Ten Commandments, an Exposition of the Moral Law that's kind of ripped from, I guess, Calvin's Institutes, but... Um, anyhow, he, he has this in his opening passage on the Eighth Commandment, which I thought was good. He says, For we ought to consider that, that what a man possesses has fallen to his lot. All right, so we, we talked recently in a Lakeridge uh, sermon about what it means to have something fall to your lot or what casting lots is all about, and about how any understanding of uh, uh, the lot of a person is in Scripture, rooted in the sovereignty of God and a very high view of God's sovereignty over the world. And he appeals, Calvin appeals to that understanding of God's sovereignty in our understanding of um, possessions. And so he says, uh, what a man possesses has fallen to his lot, not by a fortuitous contingency, but by the distribution of the supreme Lord of all. And he builds on that argument to talk about why robbery then or theft is not just an injury against that person, but a crime against the sovereign Lord who distributes to others what they possess. And so if we, if we deal with that as a Christian, if we, if we square with a sovereign God, then it kind of takes the sting out of our perceived inequities in the world. And so I want to I flesh this out a little bit. I'm reading through the Proverbs. And um, right now, in my own personal reading, and um, and so in Proverbs two, uh, Solomon talks to his son, and he says, "You need to love, get wisdom, and and love righteousness." And then he says, "And equity." And when we look at one person having so much, like an Elon Musk of the world, billions and billions of dollars, and then 
there's the rest of us, or even the poorest of the poor having so little. It seems like a, an, an enormous inequity is at play here. And there's an instinct, I think, among Christians, and it's, it, it's a noble instinct to, to, to want to rectify the inequity. But consciousness of a sovereign God p- puts a stopper in that noble thought ahead of taking what rightfully is Elon Musk's and distributing it among those who have less. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's like, yes, equity is good, but Elon Musk, it has fallen to his lot by a sovereign God to have what he possesses. And we don't know why, and we don't know what he's up to, but Elon Musk is morally and ethically culpable and responsible before a sovereign Lord for what he does with the lot that has fallen to him. Yeah, I think we're changing what we mean when we talk about what someone owns or possesses. I think we've, in general, just sort of stopped valuing the idea of ownership in general in our culture. That's the reason why, like, I don't have CDs anymore. I just subscribe to Spotify, right? Like, I don't think I need to own things. I can just borrow them for a while when I need them. But I think that really leans into uh, a very unique redefinition of ownership, which is I should own that which I need or that which I want. Or I have a right Right. Yeah. to own, right. Right, yeah. So the idea of my ownership is actually connected not to that which I, you know, you could say whatever word you want in, in response, and I'd be interested to see what you guys think is the appropriate definition. Um, it's not what you have. It's not what you earned. It's not what has fallen to you, maybe. It's more of, well, I need more money or I would like more money and Elon Musk has it. <laughs> and so, and, and, and... That just sounds funny. But, but I think this is what people think. They look at it and they go, well, there are people starving and Elon has all this money that, mm-hmm. let's be honest, he may never be able to fully use. And a Christian <clears throat> may be able to look at that and go, but is that the point? Like, even if Elon squanders his wealth, so, I don't necessarily have a right to it. Yeah, I mean, so some of this, we'll get into this in another commandment or two when we talk about coveting, because there's a whole political philosophy that pervades in Western culture these days. It's really just coveting tarted up as a virtue. But um, I, I think that there is um, a, a sort of an underlying issue here. Uh, well, I want to get to Kyle's point about what is it that we own? You know, he streams music, he doesn't have CDs. That I mean, this to throw a technology sort of dimension into this, yeah. um, there's a very real growing tension in technological circles where companies who make technology are increasingly wanting to prevent you from having the full rights of ownership, and they want to charge you continuously to use the product. And there's, I mean, this kind of runs the gamut of controlling what you can install on your cell phones. There's a whole movement right now called the right to repair movement Mm -hmm. and where people are sort of arguing, I have a right to repair my own possessions and some technology company can't preclude me from doing that by some license that they, Mm -hmm. they put in place. So this is a, what constitutes ownership and technology is an, is an ongoing issue. Here's a, here's a hilarious example of that real quick. Um, I heard recently that Lexus, if you buy a Lexus, you have to buy a monthly subscription to use your seat heater. Yeah. No way. Yeah, these companies are doing this. And they're they're, gonna, they're they're trying to get a monthly... <laughs> the seat heater? <laughs> the seat heater. Yeah. yeah. The, the same thing is true about um, 
certain um, tractors is you can't repair them. Yeah. It's illegal to open up your own tractor and repair it because the software inside of it is supposed to be kept secret. It's a, it's a secret of the company. Yeah. And so they don't want people looking at it. Well, well look, I'm it's scared. an easy problem. I'm not going to buy their tractors. <laughs> yeah, but look, it goes a lot farther than that. I'm scared to cut the tag off my pillow. I mean, I just, yeah. they own the stuff and nothing. That's right, your you mattress. <laughs> yeah. It's illegal I to feel cut like, the tag off I feel like mattress. in California, if I go there, it says I can't cut it off. Yeah. Well, and here's something else that I want to kind of lob into this discussion <laughs> yeah. as it relates to the question of stealing and to the questions Kyle was raising about, well, Elon Musk has all this money and why he can't use it all, so why shouldn't we? I think you see this um, superstition increasingly in our culture, at least, which assumes that even among, you see this particularly among progressive people who would describe themselves as progressive Christians, that a, a real um, focus and obsession with material things um, as sort of defining the, the value of our existence mm -hmm. and, the, and, and the importance. And you can see that because they are constantly going on and advocating for rearranging the balance of material things. Uh, as as kind of what Christians should be about. And I'm not against the question of using material things for good by any means, but I think one of the things you see repeatedly in Scripture is that God is less concerned about material things in, in and of themselves than in using material things to cultivate something, to cultivate an understanding in us and to cultivate a transformation in us. And that's why I was kind of saying earlier the, the teaching for Christians about their use of material things is a, a desire to cultivate a willingness to sacrifice and to act in love, sacrificial love directed toward others. That can't be done by taking possessions from someone else and using it for a good end. Right. It can only be done when an individual who owns the possessions matures spiritually to the point where they then are willing to use those possessions for sacrificially in, right. in order to love. And, and so and, and they may not do that. They may not arrive to that point. So right. don't panic because God is sovereign He's and will doing hold his them own accountable. thing in their life. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and so Calvin says um to to this question he says uh, another form of theft consists in more secret cunning where anyone is deprived of his property under the mask of justice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He saw pretty far, and yeah. I think there was examples of that even in his own day. But there are entire political worldviews um, around the redistribution of wealth in the name of justice. Mm -hmm. And redistribution is just newspeak, okay, to use an Orwellian term, newspeak for theft. Well, it's even part of the makeup of the social gospel, I think. I mean, that's, that's part of the mindset that as Christians ought to be thinking that way, you know, but it— Right. And, it, it doesn't fit. Right. Yeah, and uh, for a lot of it, it's it's twisting that which God put as a safety mechanism within human structures to fight sort of this injustice idea that we see, that there are those, you see it in the Proverbs, you see in the Psalms, people who are rich and wicked, mm -hmm. and they take from those who are oppressed. And, and so there is, a, there is a recognition in the scriptures that this is a person, and there is a way to deal with that person, and right. it's through the justice of the legal systems, it's through the, in, in the Proverbs and the Psalms, it's the king, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, or the courts taking care of that person. And I think to your point, Ben, 
there is a, a methodology that says, oh, we have this safety mechanism. Let's use this to our advantage. So the interesting thing about how people try to equate uh, redistribution of goods with equity is that, you know, and call it justice. Um, the, the Bible actually makes a very different point about what justice is. Justice, the Bible says, is about impartiality, mm-hmm. not putting your thumb on the scale. Mm-hmm. And you can't redistribute goods without putting a big fat thumb on the scale. Right. And, and, and not only that, but the Bible says impartiality without regard to the distribution of goods. It says whether someone's poor or rich. Do not take the, th- the cause of the poor. Right. Or- it, 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 don't put your thumb on the scale and don't mess around with um, doing that one way or another based on the current your current perception of the distribution of and, goods in the world. And I would say that anyone who tempt, tempted to do that has a very small view of God's sovereignty hmm. because they want to act themselves as the one with the power, the foresight, the omniscience to know the ring of power. what an equity um, to solve, how to solve that inequity. Hmm. Um, only God knows, and so you have to have a pretty high view of yourself and a pretty dim view of God. And it also to go there. it also assumes that as possessions increase, um, that there, there reaches a point where having possessions um, becomes wicked. Like just the actual having of the possessions. Like so, for instance, we'll talk about people like uh, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or some of these other you know exceptionally wealthy individuals, and we'll talk about them. Without any real, like I have no knowledge of how much money Elon Musk gives to charity or whatever, but I just assume culturally, based on the fact that he has this much money, that he doesn't deserve it. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of the cultural water that we swim in, which is to have that much money must be wicked somehow, and yeah. so he we should take it from him. Well, I think there's something we need to get it. also guard our our thinking, our hearts from is I think sometimes we look at individuals like that, and as believers, we think, man. If I had that, if I had all of that money, here's what I would do. But, you know, wealth can be uh, a pretty— It's dangerous. Uh, it is, and it can lure your heart away from the Lord. And so toward the end of Proverbs, I can't remember the king's name. He just says, Lord, don't give me so little that I'm tempted to steal, and don't give me so much where I say, who is God? Right, I forget God. You know, right. It's Proverbs um, 30, yeah. So, I, you know, I, I believe the Lord blesses, and I think uh, it's the Lord allows us to enjoy the fruit of our labor, and, and mm-hmm. also gives us responsibility to steward it well and, and look out for the needs of others. But at the same time, I always have to keep a guard on my my thoughts and not um, lie to myself and uh, fall into this trap of worshiping the the dollar right. or a possession. Yeah. Jesus um, presents in the Gospels like a porcupine. Um, and I sound kind of a weird thing to say, but he's hard to get a hold of, and it, he he'll frustrate you if you if if you tend to either extreme, either the extreme of poverty itself is a virtue or riches are all that matter. Jesus is going to frustrate you. He's hard to get a hold of. He is radical in his demands for generosity, and yet he also says the poor you'll also ha- you'll always have with you, and so. Whereas Jesus calls for, at times, radical generosity, um, there's a difference between generosity and uh, theft, right, or redistribution, the the forced, coerced redistribution of wealth. Generosity is not coercion, and I think, I think Christians who are tempted 
to uh, equity itself is not the virtue. Generosity is the virtue. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so if we if we deprive somebody with plenty the opportunity of a, a, a conscious choice to give what he has to someone who needs it through coercion, if we we just coerce that to, to bring about equity in the world, um, we're we're sort of doing away with virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd I'd like to talk about when it's okay to steal. Um, and I know that's kind of a weird thing. To, oh, to, now it's getting to, fun to, to say. But w- there's so take for instance uh, the idea of plunder. Okay, anytime warring nations came together and one defeated the other, there was kind of this unwritten rule about plunder. You got to plunder your enemies, and we even see this. In the Old Testament, God would send Israel into the Promised Land, and they would, when they conquered a nation, sometimes God would say, "Plunder their goods, take their gold, take it, make yourselves wealthy with it." Right, and then other times He would say, "Don't touch it," you know. And so there were times. It's not always. It's not the scriptures Either aren't univocal on mm-hmm. that. Um, but but like if a warring nation comes in and there's conflict at a national level, and one of them dispossesses the other one. Is that theft? Well, I I subscribe to at least some version of a just war theory of the way conflicts have to be resolved within the world. Um, and so I, my argument would be if the if the conflict is just, then the outcome the the, out, the outcome in that case and and that's a very I mean I'm shrinking down just war theory to a mm-hmm. tiny little pocket there. But if the if the nation has a just cause to engage in the war Mm -hmm. then that which they take for the purpose of finishing that conflict Mm -hmm. and and maintaining whatever you know goal they were at if the goal was just then whatever they take in that sense would be just as well so if we went against if we went to war against iran today and we took the uranium that they're hiding to make nuclear missiles and stuff like that because they've said we want to wipe israel off the face of the map taking that is um, preventing evil from taking place. And mm-hmm. So we might say that's a righteous <laughs> stealing, uh, inappropriate. Yeah, I also want to kind of maybe make this distinction. I think there's a – you see this. Boy, if you read Facebook or Twitter, you see this all the time, uh, particularly among different um, flavors of Christians who post on this stuff, is a lack of recognition that – um, God places there are spheres of obligation that God has created, and He's created personal spheres of obligation. He's assigned spheres of obligation for the church. He's assigned separate spheres of obligation and rules of engagement, if you will, for the government. I mean, the church doesn't wield the sword and and punish physically, temporally punish evildoers, but the government does, and so. This question of stealing and and the obligations set forth in the Ten Commandments may be an entirely separate obligation right. than what the obligation that a government has or That's a nation right. has in a in a corporate context like that. That's right. And yeah. so I think we have to be careful looking back on history mm-hmm. to say that every form of dispossession was always criminal or was always some kind of breach of the Eighth Commandment. Um, right. individuals and governments and wars and nations operate on separate realms. It doesn't yeah. mean that 
all dispossession in war is fair game. All is fair in love and war, yeah. right? Doesn't necessarily mean that. Uh, but we, I, I think to your point, Dad, you've got to be careful when you look back on history and hold nations to the same standard that God holds individuals when it comes to You, you see this even things. now. People will advocate, even, you know, this is another case of progressive Christians, advocating that the government take on responsibilities that God has actually given to the church and individual believers, or expecting the government should act with the same uh, ethical um, responsibilities that individuals have, maybe, in in God's um, design, or the church has in God's design. The care for the poor is given to Christians and the church, not to the government, for example. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, my, my larger point here is not to sort of unpack, you know, welfare policy or something like that. My larger point is just to say, there's this instinct to say, in modern culture, hand all this stuff over to the government, but we don't have a, enough clarity, I think, in the way we think about spheres of responsibility and not overlapping. And I think COVID was an example of that. You saw MacArthur at his church take a strong stand on this. The government was trying to tell the church when the church could gather and celebrate communion sure, and worship. Sure. And and MacArthur was pretty strong on, uh, no, you're, you're overreaching your sphere. You're right. trespassing on the sphere that God right. has given to the church. And I think we're... we're we're in a time where we need a lot more clarity about that question. Yeah, yeah. Well, and theft can take different forms. I mean, you've got is you can take theft can be everything from uh, Ben's escapades in, in grocery stores as a child, taking you know take things off the shelves, to uh, you know intellectual property theft where you're you're watching pirated films to stealing the ability of a church to actually hold its services. You know, you're taking time away from those people. You're taking away the building that belongs to them and saying, uh, your buildings are belong to us now, so, <laughs> right? Yeah, so this gets back to Ben's question when he started this, when he said, have you ever stolen anything? I was sitting there kind of racking my brain. I mean, you know, I don't remember specifically any specific thing that I stole. I probably did because I was a wicked kid like every kid. Um, but it really raised a question in my mind you know what are what can be stolen and because we tend to think of these things that are laying around or someone's money but other things can be stolen right you can steal credit for something you didn't do mm-hmm. right i mean that's pretty much twitter's whole reason for existence but, but hold off don't get too far in that direction because we have to talk about the ninth commandment and and we might find that information and truth some sort of theft, truth theft, right? Sort of happens within the realm of falls into that uh, for falls sure into that category. But you're you're right. Yeah, I, I just think that this notion of of stealing is um, you can steal someone's time. Mm-hmm. You can you can waste someone's time on purpose. Yeah, you know? I would I would even say I've said before that all the Ten Commandments are about theft. When when you worship a god that isn't God, you're robbing from God His due, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, when you're when you're lying about someone, you're robbing them of their opportunity to live in the truth. You cross the line physically in yep. a relationship. You're stealing mm. from what belongs mm. to that future spouse. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Sexual assault, mm-hmm. you're stealing from that right. victim what doesn't belong to you. Which is Gosh. why I think the Ten Commandments t- culminate in coveting. Right. Which is 
the precursor for all of those issues, yes. the heart of each of those issues, and kind of at the heart of theft in, well, in some way. Well, man, you look at the very first sin. It was it was it was stealing. Mm-hmm. It was the one thing they were not allowed to have. This tree, this fruit does not belong to you. Every other tree does, but that's the exact fruit that we desired because it was the one that was forbidden for us to take. So, Ben and Keith, you, you remember Darren Spear, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a call from him one day years ago. Um, it's when he was um, moving pianos uh, himself um, before he had a, a larger crew of guys working for him. But uh, I get a call at my office one day, and he says, man, I, I need to talk to you. And I said, yeah, what's going on? He said, I did something I shouldn't have done. I, we were moving a piano. We were in a garage. There was a power saw in there, and I took it because I needed one and I knew I know I shouldn't have done this. Now I'm freaking out, I don't know what to do. Can I can I just bring it up to your to the church and keep it in your office until this blows over? <laughs> and I said blows over. I was, you know, getting the sweats and I was like, oh man. I said, Darren's a good friend. I said, Darren, what what what's going on? Why are you doing this? And I said, Man, I, I can't. I can't do that. He starts laughing and said, gotcha, it was April 1st, I'd forgotten. You know, serious? Oh, my goodness. You've but, heard uh, of the you, – yeah, yeah, that's hilarious, getting the sweats. I love that. Getting the sweats. You've heard of the meat sweats. Those are the cheat sweats. The right cheat there. sweats. You don't want the cheat sweats. Um, so I, I, I want to I put a cap on our conversation about specifically the government because there's a dangling issue that I don't want to leave there. And I hate no, when things that's are not. Yeah, dangling. we don't even have to pursue that tra- train of thought. Anyway, um, but – but the does the government then have the right to steal? Okay, because it, we said that the government and the individual were operating on different yeah, yeah. levels, and I want to be careful that no one walks away with the impression that we're implying the government has the right what? to steal. So let's just let's take yeah. a second talk about that. I'm just wondering if we should even be defining that in terms of stealing. I mean, okay. given given the realm of obligation, like Keith was saying. Uh, I don't know if that's how we should start defining going to war and then taking over certain things um, because so, they were, it was intended for evil. I, I, I just don't know if, if stealing is the right so, way to define that. So maybe there's a distinction between a government who's looking out for the interests of its subjects, which, yeah. which it is required by God to exactly. do and instituted by God to do, exactly. versus a government that then turns on its citizens and dispossesses them of well, that's Yeah, that, that would be different right there. But but for yeah. one nation to go to war against another, I don't know if, if what if Canada went to war against the United States? Let's let's say let's say Canada went to war against Texas, and we lost, and they took your house. They would die of heat exhaustion before they got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they would. They, First I, of I all, don't see that happening. I, I I balk at the idea that Canada would be able to take Texas. I'm just a little too patriotic to believe that that could even be possible. But um, they would fall in the cracks in the ground. We wouldn't see them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> around my around my yeah. house anyway. Yeah, yeah. they just give it back. They, like, they would never make it to the front door. It's too hot. Um, so I would I would say uh, first of all. There probably is a just there probably is a way to decide whether Canada should take over the United States. Like if we went to war and they there's probably a way to adjudicate, hey, it is just or unjust for them to take over the United States. I don't know who would be qualified to make that judgment. Does does that distinction maybe God. make sense? I mean, God. yes. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> I got Jesus juked right here. <laughs> broke broke my spiritual ankles. But but my point being this, w- within human institutions, 
I don't know who would be qualified. To, I, I think a lot of these sort of like world government, you know, that kind of thing is 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 a bit hub- hubristic. Um, so I would say there probably is a, a right and a wrong choice. I don't know besides God who could make that call. Well, and I, I you know, I, I think we took a wrong turn in Albuquerque because the, the idea wasn't necessarily um, can Canada over overtake Texas. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, I, I think. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, let's just say no. Right? No. I mean, no. I don't. I object. Um, but, but, but I guess what I wanted to highlight was that a, a government who goes to war on behalf of its citizens, as God has defined just war, all things being equal, there, um, and and that government wins a just war, uh, and then dispossesses that nation of whatever was just for it to dispossess it of, then all things just have happened, right? But right. but if a government becomes nefarious and turns against its own citizens and dispossesses its citizens of its property, then then there's at some level something wrong there. Yeah. Um, which is why which is why we have nuanced conversations about even taxes. Yeah, right. Well, so I have a very libertarian bent in my in my personality and in my philosophy. But Jesus makes it very clear that there are things that we ought to render unto Caesar. That 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 the government has a an obligation and a right to to uh, take from their own citizens a certain amount of goods and services and time. Uh, Ben's even brought up before the idea that uh, God warns the Israelites, when you have a king, he's going to start taking stuff from you. And because he's the king, that's his job. And so there is a understanding that a government will have the right and the obligation to take things from their citizens for the good of being the government the way God calls them to. Yeah, I think that's the big key is for 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 fulfilling the purposes through which, for which God instituted governments. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, right. I think obviously that's we're way beyond that in mm-hmm. our current context, but mm-hmm. yeah. So, um I don't think God instituted government to you know um facilitate drug use or abortions or mm-hmm. you know, you name your your wickedness. Right. You're just describing the government in California right now. No, that's the only one. Yeah, yeah facilitating drug use and. So we need to send. What you're saying is we need to send Canada into California, not Texas. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's exactly what I meant. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so listen. I'd like to. Uh, we're we're coming up on our time here, but I, I would like to have a conversation before we conclude about the opposite side of. Um, yeah. You know, not only should we not steal, but what would it look like to look out for the interests of our neighbor? Mm. So not only am I not taking his what, what rightfully belongs to him, stealing his property, but what would it look like to actually, on in a Christian ethic, look out for my neighbor, protect his property, but even care for his own physical and spiritual well-being? Yeah. Well, I was in college, there was a little uh, BS... U house right across the street from our dorm, and uh, I worked out on the front porch of that in the mornings because that's where uh, nobody lived there. It was just a place where the BSU met, uh, met during the week. And um, so anyway, there was a bag lady that was um, seen around campus quite a bit, pushing a grocery cart, and um, you'd see her from time to time walking across campus, picking up trash and stuff like that, um, just trying to find whatever. I'd been to the store the night before and bought a pack of brownies, and they were sitting on my desk upstairs in my room. I didn't have a lot of money as a college guy. I mean, I was, I was and being a college guy, I was always hungry, so I was looking forward to that uh, snack at night, 
just bought it the night before. There I am the next morning working out, and I hear this. Well, here comes bag lady pushing her cart with a messed up wheel down the sidewalk toward our dorm. I can see her. She doesn't see me. And she's digging through the trash, and it was as though the Lord just put on my heart, you know, this woman is hungry. She needs food. And I'm having this argument with the Lord in my in my mind. I'm like, I just bought those last night. <laughs> you know, I'm not giving my brownies away. <laughs> and so she starts pushing away in the opposite brownies. direction across the parking lot. And the conviction got so strong in my heart that I just stopped jumping rope. And I ran across the parking lot, ran upstairs, grabbed the brownies, went outside, and I, I can't find her. And so I just kind of you're like awesome. I, I turn my uh, yeah. I turn my ear, you know, just hoping I can hear that. And sure enough, I, I pick up the sound, and so I start running that direction. I, I get up to her first time I've ever been up close with this lady, and she turns around, and I mean, she just looks like she's been through the roughest of times. I mean, weathered skin, yellow brown fingernails, and um, I just said, "Look, I don't know if you want these." Uh, but I'm happy to give it to you if you'd like it. She couldn't talk. She just extended her hand and took them and walked on. And so I walked away just thinking, you know, uh, as much as I argued about that in my heart with the Lord, it was obviously a selfish thing for me to be thinking in the moment because I had a cafeteria I could eat at um, later that day. But it was just a reminder that what we – oftentimes tell ourselves our absolute needs uh, as far as possessions go and stuff like that. I I walked away feeling like I'd been obedient and was encouraged that, you know, um, it wasn't, I didn't lose anything, to be honest. Uh, But it, I knew it was right to give something to somebody that really had a need that I'd already had met in my life. And so, you know, Lord taught me through that. Yeah, I think the first step to radical generosity is radical responsibility. And so if someone's going to help care for the goods of someone else, uh, they're going to have to know how to take care of their own household first. So like I think about when I first moved into my my rent house, I've been living in apartments for, gosh, since I had moved out of my parents' house. And so I move into this, this, this house, I've got a yard, I've got all this stuff, and I had no equipment to take care of that. <laughs> take care of that yard i had nothing no way of taking care of it i tried to borrow some from my family and it, it you know it was old and didn't really work for my needs and so we had a neighbor who was like hey we used to take care of the the former tenant's yard can we can we do that for you and so his ability to take care of his own yard effectively allowed him the ability to be generous and give away his time and his resources and his talent mm-hmm. to take care of us mm-hmm. and that and that built built relationships in the neighborhood and the way that that works and so i think pursuing radical responsibility for that which you own gives you the skills and the time and the and the resources to go hey look i took really good care of this i bet you i could help somebody else do the same yeah i i I would i would also say that it would be i think we make a mistake often as christians in in um seeing a moral obligation assigned to the rich but not so much to those without Mm. and so in the same way that the those who have plenty have an obligation, I think, before the Lord to share what God's given them with others because it's consistent with the character of God who gave that to them. And so it isn't it isn't merely that, well, that person has a right to your stuff. It's not that so much as um, someone who's—to uh, have something 
and then to be truly grateful for it is to be cognizant and aware of the fact that sovereign God gave that to you, and it's consistent with God's character to then give what you have to those around you who are in need to be generous with others. However, that's true, but on the on the flip side, um, I think contentment is also a Christian virtue mm. that wars against the creeping... Um, thought or idea that I don't have what I need and that person has more than he needs and so I have a right to have what he has and he's evil for having what he has and suddenly you're spiraling into this covet covet yeah it's and so we're 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 getting Spoiler there alert. right yeah so we're we're getting there but I I do think contentment sort of sits underneath I've always thought this about the 10 commandments the 10 commandments are really cool because they hold the poor and the rich accountable. They hold the powerless and the powerful accountable. It is not a one-sided list of commands where all the responsibility, all of the moral responsibility is lobbed in favor of either the poor or the rich. The ones in power are not power. Mm -hmm. Everyone is held accountable. Whatever you have, whatever your station, whatever your class, you're held accountable. And contentment seems to be at the heart of whether it's idol worship or adultery or theft or lying. And we're getting there in the 10th Mm -hmm. commandment, so stay tuned. But it's worth pointing out now that that when it comes to thieving. It's the antidote. Right. Yeah, Yeah, I think, you know, regarding your earlier comment about, um, you know, what's what's the flip side to don't steal? What's the positive... Uh, version of that, um, and we've talked about a lot of things, and I don't discount at all the sacrifice of Van and giving up his brownies. Uh, I'm just to, surprised to, they weren't to a street person. I've known college guys, and I know what a big deal it is to give up any any scrap of food. Yeah. Uh, when I didn't mean to highlight or imply that that was in some way some major sacrifice. No, no, it was just I know. A, yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, but what I was going to say was, um, you know, in my life. Uh, what I've experienced when I look back on it is um, unexpected opportunities to give of myself, and frankly, sometimes in ways uh, that are scary. Hmm. Um, you know, more you can give something. Giving involves more than just material things and this gets back to my earlier point about this our obsession with moving stuff around <laughs> you know <laughs> distributing goods uh giving really involves more than that i mean giving time you know, you can say that and that can be seemed like an easy thing until you're caring for an alzheimer's parent hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's not a small investment of time. It's not, well, I just need to sit down and spend an hour a week, you know, helping kids learn to read at the local elementary school. That's all well and good, and I'm not minimizing that. But I'm just saying there is a call in some people's lives to commit something of time that's a big deal. There's even a call to risk yourself, risk your own self-preservation. I mean, I've, I've been in situations before where – I had to intervene in a violent conflict between a man and a woman. It was completely unexpected mm. and unplanned, and you just have to decide rapidly on the spur of the moment, what are you willing to risk, you know? 
Um, and so you can go on. I mean, I could go on and on and tell you stories about this, about opportunities to either give of myself in ways far beyond my expectation or anything normal, what people would consider to be normal, or to just avoid that and and not give of myself. And it's not well, it kind of straightforward. It, it kind of raises this question of um, whether or not there are people in our lives who do have a claim upon us in some sense. Hmm. And so if we're radical individuals, then everything that I am and all that I have is mine and only mine. Hmm. But if we understand the institutions God's put in place, then in some sense, I've my... I'm not my own. My family also has a claim upon me. My wife has a claim upon me. You know, this is First Corinthians seven. In in merely just the sexual context, my body is not my own. It belongs to my wife in in a very real sense, and her body the same for me. Which also is kind of why adultery is not right. You know, so yeah. um, so 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 even in in the sense of time, do our neighbors have a claim upon? Are we are we giving away? time that our kids or our wife have a claim to mm. to less worthy things and i think about this even um in our in our you know we brought up technology a little while ago but we have technologies today that really are just weapons of mass distraction and um in in what sense are we giving away attention yeah. that was right rightfully belongs to the lord to our employers uh, time and attention that rightfully belongs to our family, to lesser things, things that place a demand upon our time and that uh, honestly are addictive in nature. Um, and, and there's an injustice there. There's an inequity there that, that sort of is born from that. Um, yeah. I, think, I think it's something to watch out for. Hmm. I, yeah, so one of my favorite bands, Switchfoot, has this great line about dealing with contentment and generosity and possession. And, and, and the, the line is this, you possess your possessions or they possess you. And f- for me in my life, one of the disciplines I've cultivated to try and fight back against that so that my uh, phone doesn't mean I steal, steals the time that my family deserves or my money doesn't steal away the, the, the heart that should be generous to my neighbor. Um, I, I think God built in a mechanism for this that we don't talk about very much and it's tithing. It's, it's, it's generosity that's scheduled. He says, hey, you need to be giving away your goods. Uh, and, and a lot of people sort of think it's like, oh, well, you give it back to God. Well, you give it back to God, but it's, it's given to the, to the church for the purpose of, especially in the New Testament we see, for the distribution of the needs that are available. It's making sure that the, the work of God and the work of God's people is going to be taken care of. And so uh, when I think about – when you think about your possessions, putting at the top of your list every month – giving something away like a tithe or like whatever charitable organizations you're also giving to putting that at the top of your list it means to your point ben the first thing you do with your possessions every month is give something away no and and i think that sets you up to say i don't belong to these things they belong to me and they are for something more than just my own satisfaction and and the background of the tithe was really a, a a for in the old testament the idea of giving of your first fruits unto the Lord mm. that the God who gave um, had a claim upon put a claim upon 10% of what he gave you I mean it could have been 90 yeah he gave you a hundred and asked for 10 back yes and that we, we, we think well you know that's just that's too much 
you know, no. And I think I think people who are aware, I think it goes back, honestly, guys, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I think it really goes back to um, having an awareness of God as being sovereign in the world. And if he is, then generosity makes sense. If God is sovereign in the world and he's good and merciful and and what we have, we have because it is our lot to have it, then contentment makes sense. Not just generosity, but contentment. Um, faith becomes an imperative in, in that sense. And so we, we, we panic less hmm. when, when I don't have the latest version of the cell phone. We panic a little bit less when, um, you know, I'm eating hot dogs and beans instead of steak and potatoes, you know. Hmm. It, contentment becomes something. I don't mean uh, there, there's a difference, I guess, between contentment and just being lazy. Like I can, <laughs> I can conceive of a dad who's like, "Well, look, don't complain. You got hot dogs and beans. You got, you know, Frankenbeans. So what are you complaining about?" Maybe you know, aspiration, striving, ambition. Those those aren't all bad things um, to provide as well as you can <clears throat> for your family. However, to to do that in a way that honors the Lord also. I think it has to be done in view of God's sovereignty and in a spirit of contentment that whatever God gives you, He gives you, and then you're responsible then therefore to be generous with and content with. Yeah, Psalm 16 says this, verse 5 and verse 6, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This has been a Faith and Culture Conversation, a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church. You can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing. 